0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Cole Miller, and a special guest this week. We, we are on fire with the guest, Cole, just like we had Coach David Thorpe on for our last podcast. Now we have Mr. Rafael Barlow, host of the NBA Draft Junkies, now doing show multiple shows, I think, a week now, at least from what I saw this week, for the Locked On podcast network along with um, one of our good friends, uh, uh, Mr. Mavs Draft on Twitter. I'm sure you guys have followed him and, and seen him and I going back and forth about some things as well as all of us. Um, but Raphael also has a fantastic YouTube channel that I, I will give him some time to plug everything he's got going on towards the end of the podcast for sure. But absolutely, if you haven't heard of this man or seen his work yet, you're missing out because he does a fantastic job covering everything and every every anything and everything for the nba draft but primarily for some of the international guys here that cole and i have some questions on we definitely wanted to have him on the podcast here to educate us a little bit and maybe do a little bit of an interview style pod for once versus cole and i just kind of spouting off for 50 minutes just giving our usual soliloquies so rafael how are you doing tonight my man are you excited to to definitely get into some guys that I know for a fact you have familiarity with. Well, I'm good. I just have to live up to that introduction. It makes (laughs) it sound super important.
1: (laughs) So it's a little bit of pressure on me now, but I'm doing good. I'm glad to be on and I'm looking forward to talking basketball. I mean, it's something that I enjoy doing, especially talking NBA draft and the international class is something that I, I have a strong interest in. So. Anytime I can talk about different prospects, it's always it's always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, like I said, that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on. And I think that's a great segue, my man. See, see podcasting professional right here. Great segue into where I wanted to start the podcast. So, uh, Rafael, you have a really interesting story in terms of some of the work you've been doing over the years and some of the experience you actually have doing international scouting. So, it's not every day that that we have a guest on who... Has been in the field, kind of like how Cole and I have been in the past. Or obviously, coach that we had on last week has been quite literally working around the game his whole life. So it's not every day that we have a guest like that, but it's it is interesting when we do because then we have some some stories to be able to tell by by the fireside, so to speak. So Rafael, why why don't you get into a little bit about your your journey through the the, the basketball landscape and kind of what you have been working on and what you've been fortunate enough to work on. It
1: was a long journey that started 2000, I want to say 2010, but as far as like with the website and the international scouting, it was um, something that I wanted to do. You know, I, I'm like probably everybody else. I used to look at NBA Net and Draft Express, look at those sites and just want to just have my own version of the, of my own NBA draft website. And so I had a really cool opportunity that came up. So it was maybe, I wanna say June 2016. Um, I had went with my parents, they were celebrating a, a 30th anniversary and they went to Paris. And so I, I went with a group and I was filming, I'm a videographer also. So I was filming just kind of like documenting, documenting this trip of all these people that went to Paris on this trip. And I tweeted, Man, I, I would love to live abroad. I would love the experience of living overseas. Maybe 10 minutes later, a good friend of mine, uh, Brandon Greer, who's an agent for um, Athlete Management Group, reaches out to me. He says, are you, are you sure you would love to live overseas? I said, yeah. He says, so you wouldn't mind spending a whole season in Europe? I said, no, not at all. He says, I might have something for you. So I'm thinking, like, okay, this sounds pretty cool. Well. By September, I was living in Istanbul, Turkey. Epe Udo, who is now a, a really good friend of mine, was just coming off a, a big year with Fenerbahce. And they went all the way to the EuroLeague finals and they lost to Şeska. And so Epe wanted to document his, his experience in Europe, just all the different places that they traveled. And he wanted to put it on the YouTube channel and just his way of connecting with the the fans in Istanbul that had really embraced him. So he had hired me to come out and spend the whole season with them. And I had met Epe before, but I didn't really know him know him. So when we met up before uh, we agreed, we met up in the States and we, before we agreed to work together, he was asking me like some of my goals or some of my dreams and what I wanted to do. And I said, man, I would love to have an NBA draft website. I said, I've been working on it, just trying to get it started. And he's like, well, I would love to help and contribute. He's like, there needs to be another voice out there. And then, um, so anyway, so while I was out in Europe, they had the the first tournament I went to was the, I want to say 2016 Under 18 Championships. And it was supposed to be that particular summer, but I guess they had some issues in Turkey. So they ended up moving it to December so i ended up going out there it was in a town near the black sea i couldn't even i think it was called samson turkey and when i was at that tournament that was the tournament where Sekou Dumbuya kind of had his his breakout you know nobody knew who he was frank nilakina played in that tournament um john and, john and musa isaiah hartstein and from that point i was like man there's not really a lot of people from the States that are covering these international guys. And it was just interesting for me to like see how different the game was, see guys from different countries, see how, you know, a guy from Spain may play a little bit different than a guy from I don't know, Latvia or something like that. So from then I realized, okay, maybe I can have a, a little niche since I'm actually out here in this part of the world. And then it just kinda of started from there
0: yeah and and that that's the thing about international scouting is you you hit the nail right on the head when you talked about there aren't a lot of people from the states doing that kind of thing in depth because while it's one thing to have access to some of the film and and maybe find a way to subscribe to some like like overseas type basketball events, or or maybe some of the leagues have like different subscription services. Yeah, there's ways to get the film and watch the film from where we're sitting, but being able to talk to somebody like you, Who, yeah, you're watching the same film as as we are for some of these guys in the class right now, but you having that experience being over there, seeing these games in person and being able to study the game from that perspective up close because it's a different game, right? Like the international game is different from, let's say, for example, what Cole and I might be watching when we're scouting. College or what you're watching when you're scouting college—it's a different game, it's a whole different animal. So that's why having somebody like you to be able to talk about these guys, even though you might not have had a chance to see in person right now, some of the guys we may may or may not be talking about—you still know what it's like to be able to evaluate them because you know a little bit better what that game is like being played because you've seen it up close.
1: Yeah, and it's it's definitely had um, an advantage. So. I mean, that year I spent in Istanbul was hands down, like, the greatest year of my life. I, I got to travel with the team, so I was able to go to, like, Barcelona, Madrid, um, Israel. I went to just a bunch of different places. I got a chance to see Luca play live when he was, I mean, I think he was considered, like, a top prospect. But at the time, he was Sergio Yule's backup. And um, so I, I had a chance to see him when he was, like, I want to say he was, like, 17 at the time. And then a lot of the guys that are in this draft, I actually saw them play when they were playing on under-18 teams. So it was just – I mean, it was basically – I don't even know how to describe it. Just, like, a perfect storm of events. That year, Fenerbahce won the Euro League. Epe ended up winning MVP. And when he won MVP, Turkish Airlines gave him a million airline miles. And he was like, how can I use these miles when the majority of the time I'm in season? So I have like a couple summers to use a million airline miles. And a million airline miles is a ridiculous amount of miles. So I was fortunate enough that he allowed me to use his miles. So if I wanted to go to watch a tournament and say, hey, there's a tournament in Greece I just saw. He said, okay, here, here's the miles go ahead. So that was that was like the advantage that I had. So it was like a perfect storm of events that allowed me to be in the position that I'm in today.
0: Absolutely. And w- without any further ado, I-, I definitely want to take advantage of some of that knowledge. I-, I know that you've seen Alper and Sengun, the first guy that I definitely want to talk about this week, six ten forward. Uh, playing in the Turkish league. Cole and I have already talked about him a little bit o- on our podcast, and I actually want to turn the mic over to, to Cole to kind of give our initial thoughts on Alperin before he might be able to ask you on, on some of your thoughts about what you think of Sengun and, and what's changed from when you're able to see him in person versus a lot of what's coming through the film now. So, Cole, why why don't you start us off on him by, by giving your thoughts about him and, and where you are, because you and I are both very high on him.
2: Yeah, I think back when we had a chance to speak on him on our podcast, Nate, that we heard me say you know, plus out know, that he might be in his canter 2.0 plus. I still think that today, and I still think that's not, you know, the, the biggest ground shattering, shattering statement, um, but the skill that he has continued to show uh, as the season develops over there for him, I think is astonishing. I mean, we've seen the highlights of the wraparound passes as he drives a lane and even that one step back three that he pulled off pretty, pretty fluidly. So, uh, he's been pretty impressive to us. I guess my question to, to Raphael would be, uh, since you've had the chance to see these guys getting back to U18 and potentially earlier for some of them, uh, the physical development that Alp has gone under over the last year and a half, is that kind of like the biggest thing, unlocking his game? Or did you see the skill level uh, back then when he was still a little bit softer and, and just thought it was a matter of time?
1: I saw the skill level. So I saw him at the under-18s, uh, so that was summer 2019, same tournament that Polkiszewski played in, and I saw him, and I thought, like, man, this, this guy is good. He's kind of a throwback center. I don't know how he'll play, if he's an NBA prospect, I should say, um, but I saw the skills, I saw, like, the advanced footwork and, and the touch, but I did not see him being the player that he is today, like, There was no way youth could have told me that he was going to develop into a potential lottery pick. I mean, and it's sad. If he was born 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier, he'd be a top five pick, in my opinion. The game has just kind of changed. But he's lost some weight. He's slimmed down. And, I mean, it's helped him as far as being, you know, a little bit more athletic and more mobile. But I just think overall his learning curve and just – his progression has been incredible.
0: Yeah. yeah. He, 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 he reminds me when I'm watching him, Raphael, he reminds me uh, of Sabonis in so many different ways between the passing out of the low post, the, the shooting touch that he's now been, been able to display over, over multiple games. And a lot of the numbers that he's putting up, I mean, in 28 minutes per game, he's 19 points, nine and a half rebounds in the Turkish league and and a pretty similar result in in Euro cup plays at 23 points and seven rebounds. I mean, these are big numbers for, for somebody his age. And I think that's really what got me into looking at more of his film and setting him a little closer was a good friend of the program, Mike Ribbinoff, who we've had on before, who was the first person that I see to really tweet about him. Like, Pretty nonstop, he was putting out multiple different tweets saying, look at the numbers this kid's putting up. Like, why is he not being looked at as a potential lottery pick, given that he's putting out this level of production in that level of a league? So, Rafael, maybe for, for my audience and, and our audience who doesn't quite get to watch basketball like in the Turkish League all the time, why don't, why don't you give a little bit of the background on the kind of competition that Sengun is putting up these numbers in because to us it's impressive but it it might not mean the same unless we give the context about this league in particular that's probably one of the top pro leagues in the world outside of the United States.
1: I think a lot of people lump all of Europe as one big league. (laughs) A lot of people (laughs) don't understand that there's the domestic leagues where each country has their league and then the their leagues may have multiple divisions. And, in my opinion the a c b in Spain is the top domestic league mm-hmm. in Europe, as far as just you know teams within the country. The Euro league is obviously the best league, which combines teams from um different countries and then there's like the Euro Cup, which I think is second, but as far as like a domestic league, I think Spain is number one, I think Turkey's number two, and it's It's not an easy league simply because in the Turkish league, you have teams like Fenerbahce, which is, uh, you know, a powerhouse. You have uh, Ephes in Istanbul, which is, I want to say, they're probably number one in the EuroLeague right now. You have a few other teams that play in, like, the highest level. So there's four really good teams, and then the other teams usually have, like, this American guard that can put up 30 or 40 points a game at any given night. So it's, it's a pretty tough league, but what's so crazy about his numbers is, and I tried to explain this to my friends is that in Europe, they don't play a lot of young guys. There's some countries that may play young guys, but there's no benefit of playing a young guy if he's not ready Mm -hmm. because there's no reward. You can't, have have the worst record and get rewarded with a lottery pick. Every game is important. So if a young player is getting minutes as a teenager it's because he earned them and he's better than the guys ahead of him. While unlike in the NBA I mean I guess Pokashevsky would be a great example. He wasn't good enough to be on Olympiacos A team last year. He was on their B team. He's getting more minutes in the NBA for the Thunder than he did in Europe. So it just shows that the NBA really values development and and, you know, allowing young guys to play while Europe is all about winning now. So I said all that to say this, that for Shingoon to put up those type of numbers as a teenager in a in a league where they're not giving young guys minutes is very impressive. I mean if Sergio Yule doesn't get hurt, Luca doesn't have that breakout year where he won a EuroLeague MVP because he would have been playing behind Sergio. So, Shingun is putting up the most ridiculous numbers I've seen for a teenager in Europe. And, in my opinion, he could end up winning Turkish League MVP. It wouldn't be out of the question for me to... I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see him win that. So, what he's doing is definitely historical. I I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but last I looked, it was like nineteen and twelve a night, which is pretty good. Yeah, and he's shooting and, 63. And sixty. Yeah, go ahead. And I've said like in in Europe, the the games. Well, I know Turkey plays at a little bit faster pace than other leagues, but nineteen points in Europe is probably like the equivalent of like twenty four in the NBA. So I would. If I had to, like, put his numbers on, like, an NBA scale, it would be, like, averaging 24 and 15 or something like that, which is something that, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I can't think anybody I've seen to average 24 <laughs> and 15 in the NBA. Maybe Shaq, but I don't even think Shaq ever averaged 15 rebounds a game.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he's on pace to, uh, yeah, he, he's certainly doing crazy things by the numbers, re- regardless of what league you're, you're playing in. And that was a great way to put it, that like domestically, like the Turkish league is probably second. Yeah, Spanish ACB is, is first, but re- regardless of any league you're playing, if you're putting up pretty much 19-10 and 10 or 19-12, and 12, like 63% shooting from the field, almost 82% from the free throw line clearly there's a skills base there for you to be able to work with where the, a, a lot of the things that uh, Singun's doing, you, those, those skills can travel and they can certainly make their way into the NBA and he can be a very productive big, I, I think potentially right out of the gate. I mean, now, now that he did shed some of that baby fat and, and in turn, he's replaced a lot of that with bustle. I mean, he's 6'10", 240 pounds. So clearly he, he's not going to come in and immediately get pushed around like a ragdoll. Um, right, right out of the gate, maybe like someone like Pokusevsky who's pretty much had to play the the majority of his time out in the perimeter as a creator, which that can benefit his game in in some ways, but it hurts some of the other things that he was able to do, drive and get into the lane a little more overseas when when he was playing. So there, there's some positives and negatives, but yeah, I think Sagoon can come in and, and definitely impact the game right away. You you were talking about the Euro being one of the top. International showcases of talent. And that would bring us to the second guy that I had on the list that I wanted to get into, Usman Garuba, who, as you said, a lot of these young guys, they don't always get the opportunity to play because a lot of those coaches overseas in these leagues, like, I don't think that they're coaching because they're at their ultimate destination either. I think that they certainly want to win games to improve their records and their resumes and they certainly want to move on and potentially do bigger and better things so yeah it's not the same thing where like in the NBA you have a lot of these coaches where unless they're bouncing back down to like a hometown college school they've wanted to coach at all their life or I mean they're pretty much at like the top for them right like they're they're coaching to be able to develop talent do what's best for the organization long term and 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 win games if you're in that kind of position but it's not quite the same as we're on one of these teams in one of these leagues, you're expected to come out here and, and win every night to better your reputation because you might potentially have another level ahead. It's a completely different ballgame. And that's that's actually a great point that you brought that up, Rafael. Um, I want to get your thoughts on on Garuba really quick and then maybe we can pivot to, to, to Cole to kind of give what he's thinking about Garuba. But he's an interesting player to me, not because I see like this all-star type prospect i think that he's definitely like a role player type prospect in the nba he's an energy guy but his athletic profile along with his size really intrigues me because he certainly makes his presence felt on both ends of the court he's a, a pretty good rebounder for the age prospect that he is and i think Even if he's not coming and scoring like 15, 18 points a game at the same time, if he's able to give an NBA team within a few years, like 10 points, eight rebounds a night off the bench and something like 20, 25 minutes a game, that's still a really impactful player and somebody that you want to be drafting in the first round, even if he doesn't have the quote unquote sexiest game as some of these other prospects. So Rafael, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you think about Gruba and where his potential might lie once he comes to play in the NBA?
1: I really like him a lot. My first time seeing him in person was at the same tournament that I
0: mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, he his team actually won the gold medal over um, Sengun's Turkish team in the championship. So, what I saw about him was very good athlete. He's undersized, I guess traditionally undersized, but I guess right, you know, the NBA is going smaller. I don't know if he's really six eight, but he has long arms, very bouncy. Uh, can switch out and possibly defend multiple positions. He was a lot more athletic than the players that he was facing in this tournament. But one of the things about him that stands out, and like I mentioned with Shingun, is that you know it's tough for young guys to play in in Europe, right? He's mm-hmm. playing on a much stronger team in the second toughest league in the world. And Real Madrid just doesn't allow young guys to really get minutes. So (laughs) just the fact that he's been able to crack the rotation at such a young age is impressive. But I think he has a game that transfers because energy, effort, hustle, that, you know, that translates in any league. He's shown some flashes of being able to put the ball on the floor, but I think he's really worked on extending his range. So I see him as like this very good role player that comes in, he rebounds, defends, gets energy points and then also is able to knock down threes and then if he can improve his ball handling enough to where he can attack closeouts, then I think that he could have a really you know really good career, but I think the most underrated part of his game is his passing. I think he's a really good passer and I I think that him developing in Spain has allowed him to one play, understand playing a team comps team concept. And also he understands that, you know, everything has to be earned. It's not given to him because of his talent, but he's learned how to pass the ball. Like if you, if anybody's ever paid attention to like the teams in Real Madrid, they always have multiple guys on the floor that can pass the ball and move the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, you know, Composo that's playing in Denver, was on that team. Luca, then you had Sergio Yule, who was like the MVP. Um, so they always have guys that can pass. I don't know what it is in their development, but they make sure that the ball moves. And I think that's the skill set that kind of pushes Garuba high on my board because I think he has the
0: potential to be a
1: really good short-row
0: passer. Yeah, that's that's something that I've been reading a, a little more about is particularly that that short roll passing skill set. And that's definitely a valuable tool for any big man, whether they're like, like playing in a, in a small ball lineup. Maybe he does masquerade as a five at times because, well, yeah, I, I agree with that. He might not actually be the six, eight that he's listed at. I do believe the 220 pounds that that real GM has him at that. That are, I do believe because he's a house for for however tall he is. He's a damn house. Um, but, yeah, if he's able to to unlock some of that passing ability, um, playing in a system that emphasizes ball movement, and quite frankly, that that's something that you hit on that a lot of overseas teams and, and development staffs, they focus on just very basic passing concepts that don't quite get uh, taught at the same rate and the same level as, let's say, like uh, – a lot of like the AAU teams over here in the United States, right? Like a a lot of AAU basketball and high school basketball is really a lot more up and down versus half court ball movement. And that's something that definitely doesn't exist in spades in development programs over here as it does overseas. So I, I agree with that point. I think that's, that's a very underrated part of his game that could serve him and benefit him. Cole In being able to watch him a little more since we had talked about him on some of our earlier podcasts. Have any of your thoughts changed about Garuba in terms of where you see him maybe fitting in in the NBA when he gets here?
2: Not a whole lot. Um, just just to expand off of Rafael's points here, um, I think sort of the underlying thing that makes Garuba interesting outside of his hustle and effort is just the decision-making he shows when it comes to defense and passing like Rafael really, really honing in on. Um, and, and to me, I think he does have some pretty good I, basketball IQ. I think you really need to to be playing an ACP, obviously, Um, really with all these kids, as you pointed out, Raphael, to be playing at the age they're playing in overseas. um, Their average age of competition is generally, I would assume, three to four years uh, older than them. So You have to be at least further along in your decision making ability on the court or athletically or at least both. And Garuba's got, you know, the athletic part down. And I think the decision making is is a little undersold just because his role is so limited uh, with ACP. So, yeah, I agree. I think there's a nice little player there. Someone's going to be really happy and they'll probably get him, you know, going fired up pretty quick in the NBA. Um, I could see, you know, Twitter community reacting a couple times early in his career with all the space he'll have. And like, he'll probably rip off a drive and surprise, surprise everybody with a monster dunk. Everybody will be like, Oh, he should have been drafted higher. But (laughs) I think think we are kind of hit the nail on the head here. I think he's going to come in with that energy hustle and effort. um, And his decision-making will help round out the rest of his game.
1: I think that. The best case scenario for him is a Paul Millsap type career. And I had mentioned it on my my YouTube channel. I felt like when Millsaps came into the NBA, he was coming off a college career he was a dominant rebounder. But he was a little undersized for the NBA, especially at that time. But he expanded his game to where he added a little bit more to the post. He was able to knock down open threes and then he was able to post up smaller guards or, or wings or forwards on mismatches but then if you had a bigger guy on him he had the ball handling to be able to put the ball on the floor and make plays and Millsap has, he's got to be in his mid-30s he's had a great career multi-time all-star I believe and I think that is Garuba's ceiling
0: it's it, it's interesting you mentioned Millsap's name, and, and that was going to lead me to my question I had about Garuba for you, Rafael, before we wrap him up and move on to another player, is that Millsap, when he was really establishing himself in the NBA, it wasn't necessarily about everything he could do on offense. Like He was kind of like an undersized forward who... Uh, had great footwork in the post, he knew how to score down low, and then eventually he expanded his offensive game out. But what really started to make him a household name and, and get him some more opportunity on, on some of those early teams was that he was a really good defensive player and a switchable defensive forward. And I think a lot of people are seeing some of the same outcome for for Garuba in, in that sense. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about what you see from his defense of potentially being able to not only hold his own down low, but also switch out on the perimeter a little bit.
1: He has the like ideal frame to be a multi-positional defender. I think a lot of teams are looking for this Draymond Green type defender. I mean, Draymond's a one-of-one, one, but it's like the 6'8 strong you know, physically strong guy that can you know push guys out the post, but also move his feet mm-hmm. and switch out on guards. But also have like this ridiculously long wingspan and the timing to be able to serve as a, a rim protector in a sort. And so I think that Garuba has all of those tools. I mean, from the physical tools to the the motor and the energy and the length. I just think that. I mean, he should grade out to be a plus defender for the majority of his NBA career.
0: And, and that's what makes, to me, drafting him so appealing is because everything that we've laid out, I think, is money in terms of what we're projecting his game to be, at least early on when he gets to the league. We're, we're drafting him for his energy, his toughness, his rebounding on both ends, his ability to box out and and hold guys in a position and maybe allow somebody else to grab the rebound even if it's not him like that man strength that he has can't be underrated and then everything you just laid out about his defense his potential versatility on that and like to me like anything i'm getting offensively in terms of uh scoring variety is just gravy on top of the case that we've already laid out for him so that's why like people who have him as like this this mid to late first-round pick, I think that's the range that I would have him in as well, but not because I see, like, this fantastic offensive outcome for him. Like, if he's giving me, like, 10 points a night, to me, that's fine. If he's giving me everything else on defense and then he's holding his own on the on the glass, grabbing, like, seven to eight rebounds a game, I mean, like I said earlier, to me, that's, that's a really productive player that, that's worth spending a high enough pick on.
1: Because he already is going to be advanced – as far as his knowledge and playing against grown men, mm-hmm. even though he is, you know, really athletic and has some great physical tools, I think his experience is going to is going to help him out a lot. I know, like, there are other guys that have came over from Europe, and people say, "Oh, well, they'll they'll be they'll have experience." But a lot of the guys that played for like big clubs like the Maccabees sat the bench. And they didn't really get a lot of playing time; they were drafted based off of their resume on the national team playing against their age group. but in Garuba's case, he's been able to win on the on the junior levels, but he's playing minutes on the on the senior team, so I think that's where it benefits him and He's been a pro, and I think that's gonna be um that, that's gonna play like a major role in how he should be able to come in and contribute right away and I, I think he's mature anyway I don't think there's any immaturity issues and so I, yeah I'm I'm high on him I, I hope he falls to a like a good team where he'll be able to come in and play because I think if you put him on like a really bad team and the expectations are for him to come in and have plays ran for him and, and be like this scorer or creator I think you're not putting him in the best position
0: no, yeah, I, I agree with that. I would definitely want to have him come in and, and be able to to get used to playing in the NBA offensively and everything that entails, kind of like breaking him in a little bit, but at the same time expecting that, that energy and that level of toughness from him, that, that defensive tenacity, all of those things I think he can come in and do right away. Yeah, I, I agree. Definitely breaking him in a, a little slower than maybe some other prospect that you might look at to just be immediate offense. Yeah, that, that's definitely the, the, the best way to break him in. Um, one guy who's next on our list, who I'm not really looking at defensively, I am looking at this guy offensively, would be Josh Giddy. Really interesting prospect in the NBL. Um, and Cole, matter of fact, was texting me earlier today and, and at some other points in the week regarding um, how excited he's been about watching Gideon, someone that's been on his radar. He's been on my radar uh, for a few years, but I hadn't exactly been watching him that closely. But some of the highlights, some of the things that he's been doing um, in, in the NBL now that he's gotten the chance to, to play in, in a really professional league, I mean, he, he's been – as exciting of a six-seven kind of like point forward prospect as we might have in this draft. So Cole, why don't you give us some of your thoughts about Giddy before we get Raphael's take on where he's at?
2: Yeah, I mean, so for me, I'm I'm not a, a good ball handler when I play rec league basketball. And it would be great to play with Josh Giddy because he will just find you no matter where you are on the court somehow. And like that, I think his passing is just uh, the obvious takeaway skill here. Um, he is a wizard with the ball in his hands. He's able to change pace and get. To the teeth of the defense, and uh, which you don't expect given his 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 foot speed necessarily, um, but he's very deceptive, very crafty, very smart. Um, I just want to read off some numbers actually as we lead into Raphael's thoughts here. So I um, might bore you for a second here, but over the last nine, Giddy's been averaging eleven point seven per game, seven point three assists and six and a half rebounds, and then over the last four, uh, he's been at fourteen point two five points per game. assists per game, and seven and a half rebounds per game. And he's shooting over 44% from the field at this point. But definitely seems like he's starting to find himself over there in the NBL after a a rough start uh, efficiently-wise. So, Rafael, what have you kind of noticed over the last week to two, or even month for Giddy as he starts to build off the success he's having?
1: He looks a lot more confident in his shot. And uh, he's shooting the ball a lot better. I mean, I think that's the swing skill for him is his, his shooting, um, simply because I feel like if you're a great passer, you're, you can't really unlock your passing skills if you're not a threat to score. But if you're a threat to score, then teams have to respect you. Then I think it just kind of opens up your, you know, your vision and all that. And so, I, I mean, I look at a guy like Ricky Rubio. I think Rubio is one of the best passers in the NBA. But because he's not a threat to score 20 points every night, it it kind of hinders how good of a passer he is. While you see a guy like James Harden or Luka Doncic or LeBron or or Steph, because those guys are such good scorers, then it just opens everything up as far as them being playmakers. So I'm not saying that Giddys on that level, but I think if he continues to put the ball in the basket, then I think it just unlocks his natural – playmaking because he's like you said a wizard with the ball. He's fun to watch. Like he's one of those guys if you came into a gym to watch basketball and just the first possession you saw him with the ball, you know that there's something different about him the way he moves with his like his flash and like the flare and the confidence he has in his passes. He's he's fun to watch and I'm you know happy to see that he's starting to put it together and he's playing you know in a professional league so He's definitely has put himself in position to be a a first round pick. Yeah, he's
0: playing. He's playing winning basketball for 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 a decent Adelaide team. And and you mentioned how exciting he is to watch Rafael. Those Australian announcers they love him, man. Like a- anytime he's doing anything with the ball, whether it's a slick pass off a cut or um, fi- finding a way to to get the open man the ball, like, they they absolutely love what he does. Like anything. So he he is a really fun player to watch, and and I agree with that sentiment about his scoring and his shooting having to be there to unlock a little more of his game and, and definitely keep the passing up because he's not one of those players, like these oversized playmakers, like Luka and ben simmons are like your two first examples you think of in terms of like oversized playmakers in today's game other than like lebron being the most obvious one but i never want to talk about anyone and compare them to lebron because lebron's such a damn anomaly but um luca and ben in particular they are very strong right so i don't see that same strength base from giddy like I, I don't see giddy being able to come into the nba and, and get a step but get somebody on his hip and keep him there and then from that point he's able to to navigate the rest of the offense and, and distribute the ball wherever it needs to go or or score inside like luca and ben even well ben, in ben's case he doesn't want to shoot but even in luca's case when he's having an off night from the perimeter he can still find ways with his handle and then with his strength base to be able to get a step on somebody and then keep them on his hip because he's that physical of a, of a guard at 6'8". And while Giddy's 6'7", I, I believe when, when he's only listed at 192 pounds, in fact, he might be a little lighter than that. I, I don't really see him being that strong of a, of a perimeter player. So, yeah, if he's not a threat from outside, particularly from three, to be able to give himself – uh, a, a little more wiggle room inside and not just have the defense sagging to the point where he has to crash into somebody and then make something happen. Yeah, that's definitely going to allow him to be a lot more successful in the offensive end.
1: I had a chance to watch him at Basketball Without Borders last year, and um it is funny because I was like, man, this guy is so slow. But somehow <laughs> he is navigating the offense, and even though everyone around him seems to be moving at a faster pace, it's like he's controlling his teammates. He's passing guys open and he just had like this it's I I wanna say like this flair about his game, but it's like he has his own pace and you can't really speed him up. You know, guys would try to pick him up full court and try to, you know, pressure him. And he just still was the same, cool, calm, brought the ball up court, whipped these crazy one hand passes across the floor. I mean, he he was fun to watch and I I'm really looking forward to his decision because I think that there's rumors that he could stay another year and, and wait until he gets a little bit stronger as opposed to coming out now. So, I'm I'm curious to see what he does.
0: Yeah, because if he went, if he went back and, and played another season with Adelaide, I mean, the, the numbers that, that Cole listed off now, obviously those aren't his season averages, but that's how well he's been playing over the last few weeks that he gets more comfortable playing against a, a higher skill level of player in terms of his competition. If he goes back for another year, I can only imagine what his season averages could potentially become. Like, he, he's he's showing enough in terms of the rebounds he is able to get off of some of these longer misses, because he's 6'7". He can go up and, and grab one of those longer rebounds easier than like a 6'2 or a 6'3 guard, even though he's primarily like a perimeter player. I mean, you you throw in, if he does improve the shooting to get those scoring numbers up consistently, he, he's getting a lot more of those longer rebounds. And then in turn, when he gets that rebound, is able to push the ball in transition and then find the open man on the other end. I mean, he could average potentially, uh, if not, very, very, very close to a triple-double if he came back so that's actually a a really interesting point about whether he should come to the NBA and maybe break in a little bit somewhere like the G League or stay overseas another year Cole what do you what do you think about that what do you think he should do
2: I mean I think we all agree that this draft is fairly heavily stacked uh it's not light on card talent either so I mean man if if he's not getting feedback from teams that are you know willing to give him much more than a G League shot next year I don't see why he wouldn't you know, give himself opportunity to rise in the draft, especially if he can really ball out the uh, NBL. I mean, you saw LaMelo do it last year, and I, and I actually wanted to ask Rafael, what are your thoughts on the overall competition level of the NBL? I think it's one of the more physical leagues outside of Europe, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily the level of uh, nuance throughout the entire game that they have. There's not the IQ level across the board. Oh,
1: I, I I feel like this. I was wrong about um... – LaMelo, Right. I was one of these people that thought Killian Hayes was better simply because I felt like their numbers were similar and Killian was putting up similar numbers in a stronger league and I mean man, I was totally wrong. And you can make a case and say that Josh Giddy's numbers or he's been just as as impressive as Mello. At the same, you know, Mello kind of started off at maybe Melo started off to where Giddy is at now. I mean, Giddy's going to play more games because I think Melo only played like 13 games. But you, if I'm an NBA team, I have to be encouraged by the way Melo's playing and how well Giddy is playing in the same league. So, not saying that he's going to be LaMelo Ball, but maybe the Australian league was a little bit tougher than even I thought.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely, because you saw R.J. Hampton's draft stock slide as well. And he was somebody who I remained high on pretty much throughout the entire draft process because he went and played in the NBL. He played in a professional league and, and and he was one of those prospects kind of like giddy where he, he's not as big, like as tall as giddy, but he was somebody else who was like, like this bigger point guard, who didn't have the best strike base to him? Like he was, he was skinny and he was on the, the the weaker side in terms of point guards going over to a league like that. And as Cole mentioned, it is a physical league over there, having to play against more grown men each and every night. While RJ Hampton didn't put up these impressive and amazing numbers every single game, he didn't even really make him make his averages kind of around like where Lamelo Ball's averages were before he eventually pulled out of the league and started to get ready for the draft. But at the same time, R.J. Hampton got experience against better players, and I think in turn that that'll that's only going to set him up for success as eventually he will get more playing time for for the Nuggets. Obviously, he hasn't played a ginormous role quite yet because that is a deep team, and that's a team that's looking to make major noise in the Western Conference, potentially go back to the Western Conference Finals. So I wouldn't have put too high of expectations on Hampton anyways, but... That, that that's a that's something that giddy i think can ultimately take advantage of as well like you guys talked about like he's that, that's a place where he can potentially go back for another year continue to work on his body physically and then in turn he's coming over to the nba and he's able to showcase the skill that he already has and some of the skill he was displaying along with a better physical base because he was playing in a professional league
2: he'll still be younger than some of the guys at the top of the draft this year too so
1: giddy yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why I think it's it's possible that he, that he comes back. And I think the difference between Melo, Giddy, and RJ Hampton is that Hampton was on a team with a couple of guards that looked to score right away, and RJ had to fit around them, which has probably helped him out in Denver. But I think with Giddy, Giddy and Melo, they were given the keys to the team right away. And they were allowed to play freely and make mistakes while I feel like RJ didn't have the same the same luxury. And even with Giddy, um, I want to say that the team brought in Donald Sloan, who was supposed to, I guess, be their point guard or maybe split minutes. But I don't know what happened. I know Sloan personally. I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. But I know he's back in the States. So I don't know. Maybe he's back because you know, the team was going to go into the direction where they are going to run everything through through Giddy. But he gave me a good comparison. He said that Giddy is a bigger version of Grievous Vasquez. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are your thoughts on that? Because I was asking him for a comparison, and I gave a lazy one, and I said maybe like a Joe Ingles, Ricky Rubio, Combination, but I I knew Giddy was a playmaker. I didn't know that he was a full time point guard. Like he needs the ball in his hands every play. I thought maybe he would be because of his size. He would be you know like a a secondary. But in my opinion, now he 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 he's a full time point guard. So, what are your thoughts on on that comparison?
0: I guess the only thing I'll say about the Vasquez comp is that Grievous Vasquez was one tenacious defensive guard. Um, <laughs> at, at, at his best, he he could not not every night, but at his best on some nights, he could lock somebody up on the perimeter. And and I haven't seen enough of, of Giddy in that sense to say that like yeah, I'm I'm that confident in in his defense. I've primarily seen. And been, been been exposed to what he's done offensively, but that, that to me would be the the main stopgap between that comparison. Cole, what do you think?
2: I think that's pretty apt, yeah, there, Nate. I'm looking at Grievous's numbers now. And I'm, Really shocked that he averaged nine assists a game one year. Holy crap! um mm-hmm. But no, I think I think pretty pretty appropriate. They are maestros of maestros when it comes to being point guards, and yeah, I think Giddy needs to be in that role as well.
0: Yeah, offensively it holds up because I mean Gre- Vasquez wasn't exactly like a lights out shooter either. But when he was hitting shots from the perimeter, that absolutely set up the rest of his game that he was able to take advantage of because he was a high IQ player as well. So yeah, I-, I-, I like the comp, and I'll tell you what: if Giddy can get there defensively, then I think that he absolutely needs to be getting more attention from NBA teams than he might already be because, yeah, it's it, all the stuff offensively is great that we're talking about. But if he can come in at six seven and be an impact defender on the perimeter, then then holy cow, like that—that's a problem for for other guards in the NBA, especially when he grows more into his body.
1: I, I agree, hundred percent.
0: So moving into the last guy that I really had. On my list, and that I think Cole has a name that he wants to get into. But uh, Rocco Precossin, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Trust me, I was on listening to uh, one of those translators <laughs> earlier today, trying to get that name right in terms of how to pronounce it. Man, we 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 got into some of these crazy names here for for these last two guys that we'll talk about. But Precossin, six nine perimeter forward type score. I gotta be honest. I'm not really overly impressed in terms of what he's bringing to the table. I think he he reminds me a a, a lot of why well, why am I drawing a blank on his name here? Not not Musa Kurutz. He reminds me a lot of Kurutz when he came over in terms of what he's going to be able to bring to the table offensively. Not being this real like high level creator, certainly big enough and quick enough to be able to get out and transition with his size and get an easy bucket that way, make an open three. But in terms of everything else he's bringing to the table offensively, and then when you look at his body and what he brings physically and how that could translate on the defensive end, I'm not overly impressed with him, yet I want both of your opinions on him. I'll start with you, Rafael, about what you think about him, because draft Twitter would would potentially call me crazy, because I think a lot of people on, on social media are actually getting higher and higher on him um, as he's gotten more and more playing time over in the Croatian League.
1: Man, I've seen people say he's the best international prospect in this class. <laughs> wow. And, I mean, I don't have him, number one. I, I I like him, but I like the comparison that you gave. I think he's – I want to say I feel like he's probably more skilled than Karuz. I think Karuz is probably a little bit more athletic. But, yeah, I think that – well, I feel like Karoops like is more like a 3-4, Well, I feel like Rocco and I don't know if it's Prakatian, Prakatian, how, however it is, I just call him Rocco, I think he's more <laughs> so of a natural 4. But I like how he can run the floor. I like how he, he has this toughness about him. He looks to try to dunk everything around the rim if he can. He shows some flashes of being able to put the ball on the floor. Pretty decent shooter. Um, likes to post up smaller guys. So I, I like his game. I think that um, he's like this weird where he's like athletic, but he's slow, if that makes sense. Like he's athletic, but not super explosive. I feel like if he has a runway, then he, he looks like a, a really good athlete. But as far as like the quick twitch, I, I don't necessarily see it. Um, but I, I do like the fact that he's, he plays with his toughness and confidence. And even though shooting isn't like his strongest skill set that he brings to the table, he's not afraid to let it fly.
0: I, I guess that that's maybe one point, Cole. I'll go to you on this. That that is one thing that Cole brought out to me when him and I were texting a little bit earlier was that Cole did see that that he he's got that strength base to him, right? He thinks that he has it, despite what his body looks like. That he might be um, a, a little bit on the lanky size for somebody who's six nine, going to come into the NBA potentially next year. But you think he he does have a strength base to him, I guess. The so the one thing, it, not one skill in particular necessarily like pops out to me about his game, right? Like when we talk about evaluating prospects, you need to be able to come in and show that you can do one to two things at the bare minimum on a high enough level to, to earn minutes or else you're, you're going to be getting experience potentially somewhere else. Like to me, yeah, he, he can handle the ball uh, enough. He can shoot the ball enough, but does he really have one skill that really swings getting more minutes and, and, and finding a role in his favor. Like I personally don't see that when I'm watching film on him, but maybe I just need to, to study him a little more closely. Cole, what, what, what do you think about him? Yeah, I don't think he has necessarily that one carrying school, uh, skill just yet, but I actually kind of think what you mentioned is a little bit of a positive for him. He's, he's kind of you know average or slightly above average in a
2: number of things. And given his age and uh, present physical ability, there's a chance a lot of that comes together even more and pretty soon honestly um he's not turning the 19 until late november this year uh, and he's already got a pretty chiseled frame and i think that'll get better given his leanness and so i think some of that explosion uh that you might be missing right now feel it might be a little bit late arriving it does happen for some of these guys on the later side especially depending on what kind of physical training they're going through off the court um and who knows bodies are different they're all different so i, I kind of see a well-rounded Guy who's not great like at like you said at any one thing, who has the chance to get really good at a few things, um, and be a pretty pretty important player for an offense where he's constantly doing the right thing, and not holding the ball up, and also giving you effort on the glass, um, you know, showing up in transition. I know I, I know I've seen you point out his ability to make passes uh, full full court length, and, and when I watch stuff like that from from Rocco, I see this innate strength the ball is exploding out of his hands when he's making these passes and it's you know most most of the time he's pretty accurate with it too which tells me there's like some kind of underlying natural innate strength there that we just haven't seen fully on display yet and and again when he dunks I I feel the same way like he is hammering it down so much harder than his body should be like letting him but it's there I think he just needs another year of development physically Uh, and I think we could see a couple of these skills really start to become to's for him and then he's going to be that well-rounded offensive player and with some defensive purpose as well
0: before you Absolutely. respond to that raphael i was just going to ask how, how do you feel about the whole like swiss army knife type architect for for prospects in, in general kind of as you're, you're giving your response to cole because like I, I guess he has age on his side but like if we're talking about like potential swiss army knife type prospects in this class Like me, for example, I would rather have somebody maybe like Herb out of Alabama, who I know that I'm getting the defense from night in, night out consistently. I know what he brings to the table from a passing and a playmaking perspective. Like he's somebody that I'm comfortable giving the keys to enough to bring the ball up the floor and initiate offense a little bit for a team. Like, yeah, he's not like the, he doesn't have like a, a master skill scoring the ball offensively necessarily. But he is another one of those guys that, like, he does enough things on the court, average to above average, to where when you combine that with everything he's bringing to the table defensively, like, I'd be more comfortable drafting somebody like Herb versus maybe going after somebody like Rocco. But I guess, obviously, the age is a big argument to that because uh, Herb Jones, he's like, he's an older player for Alabama. But, yeah, what are kind of your thoughts on, like, the Swiss Army knife type prospect in general? Uh, the
1: best example to me is Jalen Brown. I felt like when he was coming out of Cal, I couldn't point out one thing that he did well. I wanna say he shot like twenty-nine percent from three, below sixty-five percent from the foul line, maybe I don't I, probably like forty-two or forty-three percent from the floor. And I couldn't say that he had like a shifty handle. So he was this great slasher. Obviously at 29% from three. I didn't think he was a great shooter. I just I, I liked what I saw. I felt like he showed flashes of enough. But I felt like he didn't have that one skill set. But mm-hmm. shout out to him and his development team or whatever. He has developed into a good shooter. Now he's a creative ball handler, and then this year he took the strides or the steps to become a better passer, because I think in his first three or four years in the league, he had a negative assist to turnover ratio. So he's like the... I mean, it's like an outlier example of a guy that just had skills, but not one skill set that he could hang his hat on other than being athletic that he was able to develop into an all-star. Now with... With Rocco, I feel like he he's similar in the sense that he shows that, okay, he's a, a decent shooter. He shows that he's a decent passer. He has, you know, pretty good athleticism. He runs the floor. I feel like, you know, a team, if I'm a general manager and I have, like, a, a second-round pick, I'm going to take a flyer because I feel like my development staff can can bring the best out of him. You know, even if I – Turn him into a a you know like a a spot up shooter. I think that he could develop into that, or if he just ends up being like a just a a guy that is a, a decent shooter but plays hard, makes winning plays, and, and is a ball mover. I just feel like he has the the baseline of skills that can be developed into into a pretty good rotational player.
0: It's funny you mentioned Jalen Brown because I guess that that brings up a good point for, for a story that that I have in terms of evaluating some of these Swiss Army Knife type guys and maybe being able to get to know them a little bit off the court and their kind of work ethic and what they're bringing to the table from, from an IQ and a mentality standpoint. There, there were guys in Jalen Brown's draft class who people thought should have went third overall above him, but I was actually... What it felt like at the time I was in that minority in terms of him being the third best guy in that draft, maybe potentially being even better than that, because I agree with your assessment in terms of what he showed on the court at Cal, Rafael, that he didn't really have any one particular skill that you felt that like was good enough to hang your hat on and say, okay, he's definitely going to come into the NBA from day one and do this other than obviously his athletic tools, his size, and his speed at six foot eight. But what I knew about him behind the scenes, um, well, well, a, a good friend of mine at the time who I got to know and, and develop a relationship with through through writing, through some of the journalism work that I was doing back in the day, was a beat writer for, for Cal because he was going to Cal at the time and he was a beat writer for the team. And he was telling me about all these practices that they have where they would make Jalen Brown play point guard. And he was playing point guard, not only just, like, bringing the ball up and, like, dishing it right off to somebody else and, like, kind of that's all he was doing within the offense. Like, he was doing, like, pick and roll stuff. Like, he was really acting as, like, a table setter for that team in practices. And that really intrigued me because when he talked about some of the interviews that he heard Jalen Brown give and he talked about some of the things that he would hear Jalen Brown say, like, in practices, the way he communicated with his coaches and his teammates, like, you could tell that the guy had a really high IQ, or, or at least he could, so, knowing that he's a good guy off the court, that he's a smart guy, that he's able to do more than necessarily he let on during the college season, like, that's information that Cole and I, where we're sitting right now, not not being able to, to go or travel to games all the time and, and listen to some of these interviews and talk to some of these players and some of the other scouts and coaches that are at these games, like, that's information that we miss out on, especially with, with a guy like Prakashian, who... Could absolutely have more to unlock, and he could have this beastly work ethic that we don't know about, and him coming in, having so much skill in so many different areas that if he gets in the right developmental program, and like you said, Raphael, if you're a GM and you're taking a flyer on him in a second round, and you're confident in your developmental staff, and you've gotten to know the kid a little bit, and you're like, all right, well, he's going to come in, he's going to work on this, this, and this, and in a few years time, yeah, he may not be the master of anything right now, but he could really like become this awesome shooter or maybe he unlocks some more things with his playmaking because he came in and we knew that from day one he was going to come in and be this type of worker and and this type of this this type of player iq wise and being able to to just soak everything up like a sponge so i, I would be really curious he's somebody i would definitely like to, to talk to and get to know a little bit
1: because i think the skill set is there and age is on his side like like you mentioned and I'm taking a flyer because I I see enough to where I just feel like you you can develop him into a, a a pretty good rotational player. And I just feel like some guys from certain countries they're known to have a stronger work ethic. And so you know you got the guys from Croatia and in that part it's it's kind of like a I mean I guess it's like a stereotype, but you know they already have this toughness and work ethic in in their game.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, last but not least, I, I told you, Raphael, that Cole had a name that, that he wanted to throw at you because he was very curious about him, somebody that he wanted to talk about. And I think that you mentioned before we got in the air here that you're you're a little high on him as well. friends. Blienberg. I probably butchered that name. There's no way I got that 100% right. I told you we were going to have some more difficult names here, but... Um,
1: <laughs> Blindberg. It's uh, Blindberg.
0: Bl- Blindberg. Okay, so yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to butcher it either way regardless. But see, that's why we have you on, man. You're, you're the expert at some of these international <laughs> guys. You know what you're doing, but um, Cole, why don't you give us your, your thoughts on, on Blindberg, and then we'll, we'll let Raphael get into why he's potentially um, a little higher on him as well.
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'm going to let Rafael have the floor for most of Bloomberg here. But I guess what I've kind of just noticed digging into him um, off the film, obviously I'm going to let you get into the film stuff. But off the film, it kind of looks like this is really his first breakthrough year overseas. Um, he's getting the most opportunity he's ever had, making the most of that opportunity as well. Uh, he played pretty well in Euro Cup, um, And now with the BSL, he's not the, not the sharpest numbers from a shooting efficiency standpoint. Um, but that's sort of rounding up as we go throughout the season too and his confidence is coming up. We're starting to see the playmaking a little bit more. But so my question, Raphael, is where has, where is Blindberg coming from? Because uh, it does seem like he is kind of coming out of nowhere this year. Um, since you have that international experience living abroad, maybe you have some insight that a lot of people probably don't have uh, being a part of those U18 tournaments where he might have – I honestly don't even know if he played in the U18. So where is he coming from?
1: Well, I feel like I have a pretty good take on him, not because I've seen him in person, but I had a chance to interview him. He came on my podcast, and I've been able to like be in contact with him and talk to him. And um, Yeah, man, he's one of my favorite prospects in his draft. I mean, when I first saw the film, he just stood out his size and his playmaking. But one of the things that... I like about him and I probably have an advantage because I've been able to talk to him and have some intel is that man this kid is hungry like he 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 works on it he wants it and he's he's really humble but he's a a kid that I believe that once he comes over he's going to work and work his tail off because he really wants to be the best and so I think that he's finally had an opportunity to to basically play. But the thing that he mentioned to me was when he was younger, he was always a really good shooter. And then because his frame is so narrow, he spent a lot of time lifting weights and getting stronger. And he said that his numbers were never good because that affected his shot. While he was getting stronger lifting weights, he totally lost his shot. So this is the first year that he told me that he feels comfortable with his shot and his pretty much open the door for him as a, as a playmaker. I think his confidence is definitely up. But he's a guy that I, I would definitely draft in, in the first round. I mean, you don't see too many guys that are 6'10 playmakers. I think that he could develop into maybe like a Chandler Parsons type player. And, you know, you got to think like a lot of – it's easy for us to – think of our last memory of Chandler Parsons, but I'm talking more so like the Houston Rockets, right. maybe first year with Dallas where he was 6'10". He was a, a good shooter, but he was also a pretty good playmaker. And I think that is, um, that could be like Vren's upside.
2: Yeah, I, re- I really like that. I mean, I from what I watch, I think he has an, a nice sense for scoring. And like you said, the physical confidence is coming along and that will only help. He's a good handle for his size, possibility for his size and mobility. Um, you know, the confidence with knowing what you now know about the shooting, yeah, I think the arrow is probably only pointing up on that, and that's totally viable for me, uh, having pro- heard about that kind of thing with other prospects, and even in baseball, how that affects pitchers. So, awesome insight on, on Weinberg there. Um, Nate, what do you have to add on him?
0: I don't really have too much to, to add. I didn't really get to study him uh, a ton. He's He's one guy that I've definitely seen more and more of on draft Twitter. That, that I really need to, to dig in a little bit more on. But uh, Rafael sold me right right there in, in terms of the, the detail about him being hungry and, and, and somebody who wants to work at it, somebody who wants it. Like That's certainly the kind of player that I'd be in, in intrigued in learning more about and watching. So you sold me on that. But dang, you had him on the podcast. Cole, well, well done by you, man. Coming up with that kind of a topic to be able to get that insider information from Raphael—that, as Colin Cowherd would say, that is big J journalism right there. So well well done (laughs) by you, my friend. Um, I guess to close out the podcast, Raphael, I I mentioned that I'd maybe ask you to to give us one or two names in, in terms of prospects that you maybe think are flying under the radar a, a, a little too much for, for your liking? Who are maybe like one or two guys that you're particularly high on that that hasn't they haven't quite been uh, pronounced as much in the general scouting public? National or just prospects, period? And, and prospects, period. Domestic, international, doesn't matter. Um... Actually, I would say vrens
1: simply because, I mean, now his name is starting to trend up. And when I did my interview with him, I want to say it was at least two, maybe three months ago. His name wasn't, you know, I mean, nobody really knew who he was. And he had a big game, maybe prior to that, that caught my attention against um, Milos Teodosic. And I thought, like, wow, you know, this kid has to have some heart to be. That young, and he's going at a legend. I mean, Milos is an absolute legend. In mm-hmm. And then, so that's when I started really paying attention to him. And then, um, had a connection with his agent. And his agent was like, sure, nobody's talking about him. You, you'll be like one of the first to actually sit down and, and put him on a draft board. So, um, but now, like I said, his, his name is starting, starting to trend upwards. And, and because he's playing well in the, um, and, and the well, they were in the Euro Cup and then also one of his teammates he has really good chemistry with him as a guy um, that he's he's French but he he's, he's his teammate I think he just moved on to he got transferred to play in France but so I knew him so I had a chance to like watch his games keeping up with him and I know that I noticed that him and friends were hurting teams because they were running like this 4-5 pick and roll and the guy my friend was a lob threat so That's kind of how I was able to get in on him a little bit earlier than others. And I want to reach out to him and probably have him on as a a guest on a podcast coming up soon. But one of the things I like about him that I mentioned as far as him being hungry, when I made the video on him, I didn't know him yet. I just made the video and I put that one of his weaknesses or areas that I thought he needed to improve on was being able to create off the dribble and shoot like pull ups with, with his length if he's gonna play like some guard that he has the ability to get to his spots and shoot over the top of players. And he reached out to me and said, Hey, I agree with everything you said and I'm working on it right now. And then he even sent me a clip of him making like a pull up jumper. So that's when I just kinda of fell in love with the kid as a person and his his work ethic and just how hungry he is and you know, and I would would ask him stuff like, "So, what are you, you know, what are your interests off the court? What are you into?" And he was pretty much like, "Um, I just play basketball. I watch basketball, and everything that he's done has been in preparation to to be an NBA player. So, as far as like watching NBA films, studying guys, to even like mastering English, because he knows that that's You know what he'll have to do once he comes over to the states so it's like he's really been focusing and preparing for for this big jump so i like him a lot and um you know i'm I'm, the video that i made i the question was is he's this year's Pokashevsky? and i feel like he already has more film than Pokashevsky had last year at this time so
0: well, draft Twitter loves like said, Poku. I, I, they 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 still love Poku. Like, everybody's going nuts about anything that that man does. So if you're telling me that yeah. we we have another Poku type prospect in this class, this big six ten lanky playmaker who can do a lot of different things on the court, and then you're giving me all that backstory, um, if there's any NBA executives who stumble on onto this podcast and they're listening to some of this, I mean, hell, I'm sold. Like like they should absolutely be sold in terms of looking deeper into this guy. So. Well, well, well done! Even more big J journalism. I, I, I love when we get some things like that going on the podcast. But, um, Raphael, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on, my man. Please, please, please tell my audience about everything that you're doing and, and where they can find you on these different social media and these different multimedia platforms.
1: NBADraftJunkies.com is my website. Let's type in the same name. It's on my YouTube channel. I just recently started doing a Locked On NBA podcast or Locked On NBA Draft podcast with the Locked On Network. So thankful for that opportunity. And uh, on Twitter, you can reach me at Barlow Five Hundred. I probably need to make all my handles the same, (laughs) but uh, I—I guess I never—I hoped to be at this point, but I, I wasn't expecting. You know, to to be doing podcasts like this on a regular basis and having to give out my social media handles, but it's Barlow 500, and I uh, also have a a radio show that comes on every Monday at 10 a.m. Central, and it's on the Dash Radio. So it's like Dash is, I guess, a, a competitor of the XM Sirius Radio, but it's like a web race, a web based radio station. So. I have like three podcasts that I that I do a week, so I'm I'm pretty accessible there.
0: This man's working overtime for this for the sports scene for the NBA draft public. You are doing incredible work, my friend Cole, and I. Like we said, we we're both excited to have you on. So thank you so much for for coming on the show. Who knows? Maybe Cole and I will pop up on your show in the near future. I'm, <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I'm I can I'm, tell I'm... you that 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 you guys will. I'm going to reach out to you Here's offline. Right and see if I can have you on. And I wanted to thank you guys for reaching out to me and and having me on as a guest. Your show is really professional and organized. I mean, you reached out to me probably what two weeks ago (laughs) to be a guest for this particular week. Uh, A lot of times people, and I do it myself, have a bad habit of, oh, I need a guest tonight. And I reach out to somebody maybe six hours before I need to record. So thank you guys for reaching out to me in advance, giving me the, the topic to discuss. And I, I did some listening to your podcast, and I think that you guys are definitely trending upwards. And I, I definitely plan on listening to to more of your your podcast and your takes. So hopefully, this is the first of, of many um, times that we'll collaborate.
0: Oh, 100%. I, I appreciate the, those compliments, Raphael. Yeah, I kind of have to plan things out in advance because this, this isn't what I'm able to do full time. Hopefully one day it will be. But with, between everything else I got going on, if I don't make a plan to do something, then it's probably not not going to be too much organizationally. So, but, So thank you for that. But yeah absolutely after this episode we you and i will will both have some more collaborations and cole and i would both love to come on your podcast in the near future absolutely um thank you everyone out there for listening to this episode follow us on twitter at draft deeper like the facebook page subscribe to the youtube channel subscribe to your favorite podcast player wherever you get your podcast whether it's apple Podcasts, spotify Trust me, we're, we're everywhere, and we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep putting out great content. Absolutely look out for episodes beyond this. I'm going to be appearing on the Chucking Darts podcast um, on Saturday, and then I think I have another show lined up on, some, on Sunday with some of our friends at the Off the Ball Network. So definitely keep your eye on our social media channel. I will make sure to, to share the hell out of everything else that Cole and I are doing this upcoming weekend. And we look forward to touching base with everyone next week, talking about some more NBA draft prospects. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week.